I want you to first turn with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at verse 6 with me. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Unto us a child is born, and to us, a son is given. I was uh, speaking with Brother Paul Mahan yesterday, and we were talking about the messages that we had prepared for this morning. Both had to do with the birth of Christ. And Paul told me that his opening statement was going to be, this is not a message against Christmas. <laughs> and I chuckled and I told him that I was going to borrow that same introduction, so I am. This is not a message against Christmas. This is a message about Jesus Christ, who He is, why He came, what He's done, and who He did it for. Now this is the time of year that most everyone celebrates the birth of Jesus. I believe it was Mr. Spurgeon who once said that he was thankful for at least once a year, one time a year, where the majority of the world considered the birth of Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'm thankful for that too. The religious message of Christmas is a child is born. We uh, see nativity scenes everywhere we go. and But you know, little is said about a son being given. A lot is made mention of a child is born, but not much about a son that is given. Many celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but never consider why He was born. The world during this holiday season has included many other things that would deter most folks from ever wondering or seeking out why Christ came. But this is not a message against Christmas. The reason for the birth of Christ is given in the same verse that announces His, his birth. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The birth of a Savior in the city of David, this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, is Christ the Lord. First and foremost, He's the Lord. And this birth shall be a sign unto you. Now that word sign there in this verse means much more than just a notice or a signal or proof and evidence. The Greek word for sign here is samion, and it means a miracle. 
A miraculous sign. It means a notable token. It's an expression of love and mercy and grace. It means a wondrous wonder. Oh, what a wondrous wonder of how God saves. Now I understand that this sign was that Christ the Savior, the sign that He'd be born in Bethlehem, found in swaddling clothes. Uh, Teresa and I were listening to Brother Paul's message on the way to church live stream and he brought out some wonderful things about these swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I encourage you to listen to that message. But this was much more than just a, a sign, more, more of an amazing sign than just that. Paul told Timothy that this was a faithful sign. It was a faithful sign. This was a sign from God in heaven. It's worthy of our acceptance, Paul told Timothy. And it's not only a sign of love, mercy, and grace, it's a sign of God's displeasure with sin. The whole world has been given this sign as the only way that God can justly save sinners, and that is, and, and that is what, it make, what makes it a sign of love, mercy, and grace. You know, God could have been just, remained just, and just leaving us all to ourselves. Yes, sir. That, that's what we deserve. People say, well, I, I want what I deserve. Well, I don't. No, I don't. Death and eternal condemnation is what I deserve. Now, what is this mirac miraculous, wondrous, and notable sign Paul went on to say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, if you're a sinner, that's wonderful news. Yes, a child is born, but unto us a son is given. And this is the Son of God. This is God the Son. No less God than God the Father. God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. This is the Everlasting Father. This is the Prince of Peace. And He's coming to this world and it'll be a sign unto you. The prophet said. It should be a sign to all and it's a sign to some now. But it'll be a sign to everyone in the judgment. A sign that the Savior, which is Christ the Lord, came into the world. And what did He come into the world to do? To save sinners. His coming had nothing to do with trees, decorations, a man dressed in red with a long white beard. His coming had nothing to do with giving gifts one to another. But this is not a message against Christmas. This coming had and still has to do with the greatest gift that was ever given. Yes, and it's something that everyone needs, but not everyone wants. And that's salvation. And they don't want it because they don't need it. But God gave this gift to some. Who are these us unto whom this child is born and this son is given? Well, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 
Here we're told that an angel appeared unto Joseph, the espoused husband of Mary, who was a virgin, and told him a wondrous thing. Look at verse 20. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. The angel said to Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, they haven't, hadn't come together as man and woman, and she's expecting a child. And um, what a, no, no doubt, it's a wondrous, miraculous thing that a virgin can be expecting with child. But that, is, that pales in comparison to what we read in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. So this child is born, this son is given unto sinners who refer to themselves as us, and whom God refers to as his people. So this isn't a message about Christmas. This is a message for God's people on how Christ came into the world to save them. The sinners that they are. And this is the gospel. It's the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul in Romans chapter 1 wrote that we, his people, have been separated unto this gospel which is called the gospel of God. It's called the gospel of God because it's God who initiated it and purposed it. And this gospel, Paul went on to say, is concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what this gospel is about. That's what this book is about. It's about Jesus Christ which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. You see, that's why He was born. And that's why He was given. Now in verse 22 we read, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, that being Isaiah, who in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 said, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. What is that sign? He tells us, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not a helpless baby lying in a manger. For this child grew, the Scripture says, he walked, waxed strong in spirit and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And His name's called Jesus. That means Savior. That's the meaning of the name. It means the salvation of the Lord. It means the Lord of salvation. That's what His name means. And salvation is of the Lord. Amen. So the first thing that we see here is this was a name that was divinely ordered. Divinely given and defined by God the Father. God from heaven said, Thou shalt call His name Jesus. You see, the name is like the one who bears it. This is His name specifically and particularly. 
It's his name given from God above. And it does mean Savior. It means he is the salvation of the Lord. It means he's the Lord of salvation. And God defines and expounds his name. He's called Jesus Savior for one reason. He shall save his people from their sins. He's not a Savior by our will. He's not a Savior by our hand. He is Jesus, Savior, by the will, purpose, and the hand of God. John said, herein is love. People talk about the love of God. God loves everybody. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. How do God's people know that God loves them? He tells us, because He sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atonement, the compensation, the payment for our sins. Again, verse 23, Thou shalt call His name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. This is the sign given unto you and me and all the world. What sign is that? You and I are sinners. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. So God purposed before time ever was to save certain sinners. And what is the sign? This is Jesus Christ. This babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, is Jesus Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of sinners. And sinners is who He came to save. Secondly, we see that His name identifies Him with His people. Who are His people? Who are these us that He came to save? They're sinners. <laughs> he came into the world to save sinners. He shall save His people from their sins. I think about the words without controversy is the mystery of godliness. And then... The writer said, God was manifest in the flesh. That's what we have here. Not just some baby lying in a manger that never gets out. Not, not a baby that's dependent upon Mary. God in the flesh. Manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God. And God is with His people. Are you one of His? Oh, what a blessed man or woman you are. God is with you. Well, isn't He with everyone in the world? Not in a saving way. Because if He was, all would be saved. He shall save His people. He doesn't want to save. He's not trying to save. He shall save. This is the language of Scripture. God never tried to do anything. God's never wanted to do anything. Our God's in the heavens. He does whatsoever He will. In the armies of heaven, among the inhabitants of earth. In heaven, earth, in the seas, all deep places, doesn't matter. God is in control. Is that your God? Shall He save every sinner? Everyone that is given sight to see that they're sinners. <laughs> That's who He saves. Salvation's not universal. Salvation is particular. And some say, well... Preacher, you're just splitting hairs when you say things like that. No, it's the difference between life and death. Yes, sir. It really is. I wish we everyone could see that. It's not just a difference in doctrines. It's not just a difference in opinions. 
It's a difference in God's. I say that often, but it's so true. But some say and believe that God loves everybody. Well, this message is not against Christmas, but it is against religion. If God loves everybody, now hear me on this. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. If God loves everybody, and yet some of those whom He loves perishes, then what does God's love have to do with salvation? Now you think about that. If God loves everybody, and yet some are still lost, then the love of God doesn't mean anything. If, God love, if God's love does not secure the salvation of its object, then His love is worthless. If Jesus Christ died for everybody, and yet some of those that He died for are still lost, then the death of Christ accomplished absolutely nothing. Now there will be none that perish for whom Christ died. And this is why it's blasphemy to say so. If Christ died for all men alike and yet some are still lost, then Jesus Christ is a complete failure who cannot save anybody. And men will object and say, no, no, that doesn't mean that at all. It means that God made salvation possible. He made it possible to all who will believe. And such who believe that need to think about what they're saying. If something or someone is needed to make God's will and salvation possible, and that someone is man, by adding His will and His righteousness to the work of Christ, and salvation is obtained and accomplished by man. If, if God can only make it possible and you and I have to make it certain, then salvation is not of the Lord. It's of, of the sinner who, who makes a decision and, and decides to let God save them. But we know that's not so because the Scriptures are so clear. Salvation's of the Lord. If it's not by God's free and sovereign grace obtained and accomplished and finished in and by through the work and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then none of us will ever be saved. That's right. Because you and I cannot perfectly keep God's law. And that's what God requires. It's got to be perfect to be accepted. Our offering to God has to be perfect. We can't provide perfection. And what a sign Christ's birth is to this great truth. Because if man could have saved himself, there would have been no reason for the Lord to be born and the Son given. Isn't that right? Yet He was. And this is a sign of why He came. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to save His people from their sin. No sinner's ever been saved by someone telling them that God loves them and Christ died for them. You can tell them that to their blue in the face. Or you're blue in the face. Well, God loves you and Christ died for you. That's never saved a soul. No sinner's ever been saved by someone telling them that. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to prepare the way of the Lord, did not come saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. 
No, that's not what he said at all. What was John's message? Let me show you. Turn over a page to Matthew chapter 3 and look at verse 1. John didn't preach and proclaim to sinners that Jesus died for their sin and that because of that they needed to make a choice and decide to give Him their heart. No, sir. What was His message? Look at verse 1, Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! Repent ye! You repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what was the result of his preaching? Well, it's always the same result, the same effect when God makes His message effectual to the sinner. Verse 5, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan. Doing what? Confessing their sin. John's message wasn't God loves you. It wasn't Christ died for you. It was repent of your sin. One day as he baptized at, by the, at the Jordan River, John pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the world there, speaking of His people in the world. And then we know that at the age of 30, the Lord Himself began to preach. What was His message? Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark chapter 1, His message was repent and believe. In Luke chapter 13, His message was repent or perish. Now if a sinner doesn't repent and believe, they will most certainly perish. Since the wages of sin is death and the soul that sins, it must die. God made a way to where He can remain just and still justify ungodly sinners like you and I. And that way is Jesus Christ. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And beloved, for that reason only, we are no more servants, but sons and daughters, heirs of God through Christ. Proclaiming and preaching the Gospel is not telling men and women that God has set His affection upon them and making salvation possible. Salvation is knowing that God so loved His people that He sent His only begotten Son into the world that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The name of Jesus is what shows us for certainty that we're saved. He, Christ is the only way to be saved. He said, I am the way. You know, I found this very interesting. Uh, we're told in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that the disciples of the Lord were called Christians first at Antioch as the first time that they had been called Christians. Do you know what they were called before that? You ever thought about it? You researched it? They were called the way. 
That's right. In Acts chapter 24, verse 14, Paul said, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, the gospel, they these call that heresy. It's the way. So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Speaking of the lost in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, they are all gone out of the way and unprofitable, for there's none that doeth good. In verse 17, Paul said, and the way of peace. There's only one way of peace. Jesus Christ who is the way. His peace passes all understanding and keeps our hearts and our minds through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no peace with God apart from Christ who is the way. Amen. The writer of Hebrews said in, in chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. That's what earthly priests did. And then it goes on to say about that high priest, they could have compassion on the ignorance and on them that are out of the way. For that he himself is also is compassed, compassed with infirmity. By a new and living way, which he, Christ, hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. The Lord Jesus himself, as I said, said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no man, no woman, nobody comes to the Father but by me. It's the only way. No other way. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Thank God that says few. Not any, not any. There's a few. Some find it. There's only one way, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. There's no doubt about it. It's certain. He shall. He shall. When God says he shall, you can write it down. God saves his people from their sins by laying all their sins on Christ. The Scripture says, The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all, all being us, all being His people. This is the only way a sinner can be saved. And what a wonderful gospel this is. It's not dependent on you and me. It's dependent on the One who cannot fail. He shall save His people from their sins. Where the sin is laid, the penalty falls. The chastisement of our peace was where? Upon Him. He, Jesus Christ, was made a curse for us. Christ also hath suffered for us. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. He bore the wrath of God which was due me and you. Thirdly, the name of Jesus was given to him before he'd ever done anything. Just a babe lying there in the manger in swaddling clothes. His, his name is well deserved. 
He shall save His people from their sin. And that's exactly what He did. We have the Gospel narratives to prove it. Every miracle that the Lord did pictured the Lord's healing of the soul of His people. That impotent man, I think about him often, that lay at the pool of Bethesda. There was a... I don't know if it was superstition or if it was so. We're not told. But it was said that a, an angel came and stirred the water and the first one to get down into that water would be healed. But this impotent man who lay there, he was lame. The Lord... Uh, he said, I don't have any man to put me in the water. He was lame. He couldn't walk. And the Lord gave that man the ability to walk. He didn't need to get in that water then. Is that not what He does for sinners who are lame on both of their feet from a great fall? Jesus Christ has got to do that for us if it's ever going to be accomplished. The man with the withered hand, he couldn't work. People talking about all they do for God. We got withered hands. Our hands, our ability to do anything is withered, incapable of doing anything to help ourselves. But the Lord straightened that man's withered hand, and the Lord straightens our withered souls and gives us the ability and the will to come to Him. Because by nature, no man can come. Christ that they might have life. And the Lord Himself said, you will not come to Me that you might have life. God has to give us the ability and He's got to make us willing in the day of His power. Amen. What about that, lep that, that uh, leper? It says He was full of leprosy. <laughs> he pictures the fallen sinner's condition. That's, that's you and me. We're eaten up with sin from the inside out. It starts on the inside and works its way outward. But the Lord touched him and made him whole. And that's what the Lord Jesus does for every sin disease sinner that comes to Him. That leper came to Him. He didn't leave disappointed. You know why? Because He shall save His people from their sin. Blind Bartimaeus. He's a beggar. Begging by the wayside. The Lord asked what He could do for him. What can I do for you, Bartimaeus? And the blind beggar said that I might receive my sight. I, I want to be able to see. What a picture of the sinner's blind eyes being given sight that they might see Christ who is their life. That was the first thing Bartimaeus saw. The Lord gave him sight and there's the Lord Himself right, right before his eyes. And that's the first thing the sinner sees when God opened their eyes. They see the One who loved them and gave Himself for them. They see Jesus who shall save His people from their sin. A woman with an issue of blood spent all she had and grew worse. No earthly doctor, friends, can help us with our condition. But the Lord Jesus shall save His people from their blood disease. When they've exhausted all other means and come in desperation to Him. Are you desperate? Do you need your sin put away? Then come to Him because His name is Jesus and He shall save His people from their sin. He did for His people what they couldn't do for themselves. He did for His people everything that God required of them and we call Him Jesus. Why? 
Because that name that is above every name, <laughs> He shall save us <clears throat> from our sin. And then lastly, I think of that dead man at Nain's gate or Lazarus, either one. Both were dead. And one day I heard, I was dead in trespasses and sin. And one day I heard the Lord I say to me, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead set up. His people were dead in trespasses and sin. There's their sins the cause of their deadness. But rejoice because he, Jesus, shall save his people from their sin. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. It was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, that was written on his cross, and he hung there to put away the sins of his people. Jesus of Nazareth. Peter said, this is Jesus of Nazareth by whom is preached unto you the remission of sins. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus. What a beautiful name. And dear friends, a child is born, yes, but a son is given. And His name is Jesus and He's the Christ and He shall. I can't say it enough. He shall save His people from their sin. Now in closing, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6 and I want to use the, the words of the Lord Jesus as the, or my, my closing words. John chapter 6, verse 37. You know these words well. The Lord here speaking, John 6, 37. All, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing. He shall save His people from their sin. Of all that He's given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, how are you going to see Him if you're blind? He's got to give you, he's got to give you sight. Everyone that believeth on Him. How are you going to believe? How, how's a dead man or woman going to believe? God's got to give you life. Yes, sir. Everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. And I'll raise Him up at the last day. He, said that. he didn't say, I'm going to try to raise Him up. He didn't say, I want to raise Him up. If you just let me. No, He said, I'll raise Him up. Oh, the believer celebrates Christ's birth every day. And strange to many, we celebrate His death. You can see, we celebrate His death because He must first die in order to be raised. And He must be raised, He must be resurrected for us to know that God accepted His perfect work of righteousness. That's how we know. God raised Him from the dead.
And because He resurrected, we have the confidence and we have the assurance, we have the peace that He has saved His people from their sin. This, this was not a message against Christmas. This is the message. This is the sign. This is the only way to know that all who trust in Jesus Christ have all, every single one of their sin, put away. Isn't that good news? That's why we call it the Gospel. And we celebrate His birth every day. A believer does. Because if Christ hadn't come into the world, this sinner would have never been saved. No sinner would have ever been saved. In May, during this holiday season, we, the Lord enabled us to think on these things.